Welcome to the Sweetness of Trial podcast and commentary. My name is Chuck Malone, and I am the author of the book, The Sweetness of Trial, a perspective to help you win, not just endure. Available in both paperback and Kindle on the Amazon book platform. Written by Charles P. Malone. Welcome to the Sweetness of Trial Book Reading and Commentary, Episode 7, Part 1, part pages 71 through 80. My name is Chuck Malone, and I am the author of the book, The Sweetness of Trial. Today's episode is titled, Enduring Trial, Waiting Upon the Lord. I'm so sorry we have to break this episode into two parts but I promise to record part two immediately after part one because it's going to leave you hanging if I don't. So, or sitting by the side of the road in my case, you'll have to listen to the story to find out the answer to that one. So part one takes you on my journey of preparing for and running a marathon. I will let you come to your own conclusion as to how that relates to the title of Enduring Trial. But the story begins on page 71, late one night, and a knock at our door. I can still remember the evening in Mesa, Arizona, when my good friend Lyle Knight came to my home, so excited about something I could hardly keep up with him. I caught a few words, t-shirt, fiesta bowl, fun, and see you at 4.30 a.m. to begin training. I found myself pulling $10 out of my wallet and giving it to this deranged man before he turned on his heels and ran out the door, leaving me in a state of stupor. And then the clouds cleared. He wants me to run a marathon. Up to that point in my running career, I had only participated in 10K runs of 6.2 miles, which fit well into my daily training regimen of three to five miles a day across busy highways, dirt farm roads, and the Mesa High School rubberized track. Needless to say, running a marathon, that's 26.2 miles, if you don't know, was the furthest thing from my bucket list of life's goals. But there I was, money paid, commitment promised to a friend, and a 4.30 a.m. date the next morning to begin training. What have I done? In reflection, I had begun a journey that would change my life forever. In my Grandma Leopold's stack of Reader's Digests, there were innumerable stories told and retold of countless events that happened in the lives of ordinary people to propel them into accomplishing extraordinary things. Mine was just a simple knock on the door. Just a mere mention of the word marathon can strike fear and terror amongst the hardiest of running enthusiasts. I could not even begin to understand what it would mean for the human body, mind, and spirit to be stretched beyond its capacity to endure a 26.2-mile run when my longest distance run was six. (laughs) When faced with a trial never before encountered, it may appear bigger than our capacity to endure. I could relate to the physical and mental strain of running in a 10K race and of the daily runner's high 
that results from training for such a race, but I could not relate to a race four times further than my longest quest. I could only see in my mind's eye the exhausted and physically challenged condition of those first runners crossing the finish line as shown on national TV. Of course, they were running at a blistering speed of two hours and change, but that didn't matter. I could only relate to how I felt crossing the finish line after giving my personal best in a 10K race. The thought of enduring four 10K races back-to-back -back was not even a blip on my personal achievement radar. Earth life is much like a marathon race. I call it a race because it is a race against time. How many grains of sand remain in our personal life hourglass is not known, but we do know that one day the last grain will pass through and our life as we know it on earth will end and for our life on the other side of the veil to begin. We draw our first breath in this life as in infants, unable to walk, talk, or even feed ourselves. With the passing of time, we are able to exercise our agency and start making choices that will define our earthly legacy. We don't think much about how this race will end at that time in our lives, or that it will even end one day. But because we have a wise Heavenly Father who designed this entire earthly experience for our personal benefit and growth, He has encouraged us to build our faith as a means of support when trials come and we cannot see beyond our past or present experiences. Faith is built, not just conveyed or passed on from our parents. It is built by having desire, adding prayer, and acting upon impressions received, even if the space ahead seems dark and undefined. In other words, developing our faith muscle builds endurance against life's uh, trials. When my friend Lyle and I met on the high school track that first morning after his knock on the door to begin our training, I was very skeptical. I had no confidence in my ability to endure such rigorous training let alone get through the infamous wall that is known to bring even the best runners down to their knees with a feeling as though their legs had been filled with lead quail shot. <laughs> and I reference a, a, a story, Hitting the Wall by Sarah Ladder about marathons. It felt like an elephant had jumped out of a tree onto my shoulders and made me carry it the rest of the way in, said Dick Beardsley, speaking of hitting the wall at the second marathon of his career, the 1997 City of Lakes Marathon. Well, Lyle and I had only six weeks to train for um, the first Fiesta Bowl marathon. It would take commitment and persistence to be ready in such a short time. It would take faith that we could finish the race coupled with careful conditioning and not injure ourselves in the process of training. Well, training went well, and we set as our daily routine a five-mile run with a slow 10-mile run on the second Saturday just to see how we felt. We increased to a 15-mile 
Saturday run with the goal of a 20-mile run a week before the marathon. Now, here's where life's marathon and our Fiesta Bowl marathon closed ranks. With only two weeks to go, we were on our last stretch of the 15-mile run one Saturday morning, and my legs felt as if they weighed 100 pounds each. As we crossed the railroad tracks at Southern Avenue, only five miles from home, my shoe caught the edge of one of the tracks, and I went down. My ankle and knee sustained most of the impact, along with my hands trying to break the fall. When trial comes upon us and dampens our resolve and perhaps opens the door to discouragement, it is referred to in the scriptures as a trial of our faith. Opposition is considered a necessary ingredient in strengthening us for future and perhaps larger trials. At the time, I could not see past my disappointment and the look in my running companion's eyes, which also reflected his concern. But I managed to get to my feet, and with adrenaline coursing through my body, I somehow jogged and walked the remaining five miles to home. We each have a choice in life, not necessarily in what trials confront us, but in our actions in the face of trial. We do choose how we will react. And the next few hours found me on one knee. The other was bandaged, praying for a miracle. My ankle was sprained and my knee cut. And I was still committed to my running companion to do the best I could in the race. I was not about to give up. To whom do you turn for peace? Does it take strength and courage to admit you can't fix something on your own? How do you honor a commitment to another when you see no clear way to do so? I believe they call that faith. In my case, I knew there was no way my ankle would heal without help. So my first call was to my Heavenly Father, asking for His insight into what I should do to care for my ankle. My next call was a doctor friend of mine. His diagnosis confirmed the worst, a low ankle sprain, requiring plenty of rest, ice, and foot wrap to control the swelling. Stay off of it and give it a couple of weeks to heal, and you should be as good as new, the good doctor prescribed as he finished wrapping my ankle. <laughs> I didn't have two weeks to sit around and play injured. My next call was to the elders. <laughs> These men are given the same healing power Jesus Christ gave to Peter, James, and John. I needed healing. But even Jesus Christ would not heal a person without the assurance that the injured had the faith to be healed. Did I possess the faith necessary to be healed? I was about to find out. Following a blessing of healing administered by two men who held the priesthood of God, I thanked them both for coming to my aid and asked my wife to show them out while I prepared to begin the process of recuperation. I was not going to be a model patient, but hey, even James taught that faith without works was dead. That's in James 2:26. I went to work in spite of the discomfort. It wasn't fun, it wasn't pleasant, but I had the faith that if I put in the work to prepare, God would make up the difference. 
I did not finish our 20 mile scheduled test run that next Saturday because of my still fragile condition. But I did the best I could at enduring my trial with rest, plenty of massage stretches, and a few short distant jogs, which helped me stay limber and faith in the power of priesthood blessings to heal my ankle. Each day leading up to the Fiesta Bowl Marathon gave me more strength and healing, and by the Thursday before Saturday's big race, my body had mended enough to complete a 10-mile run. It was slow going, but I completed the course. Friday was rest day, and Saturday morning at 4.30 a.m., I pinned my runner's number on my chest, scared to death, but also filled with anticipation and exhilaration. The sun had not yet risen. A local news station helicopter circling overhead gave us all reason to cheer and wave, sending needed warmth to our bodies while waiting anxiously for the starting gun to fire. As advised by the more experienced runners, we began to position ourselves toward the front of the pack so we would not lose time waiting for the thick of the pack to extend out onto the course, coming to the realization and almost laughing out loud at the thought that only a few days ago I could barely walk. Following the lead of my running companion, Lyle, we continued to inch our way ever so discreetly toward the front of the throng, drawing occasional stares, which produced a questioning scowl over the number on our chest, indicated where we should be starting from. I cannot adequately describe the feeling I had that Saturday morning, waiting for the start gun to fire, reflecting upon the journey which led me to this moment. It all had happened so fast, a knock on the door, registration for a marathon when I had only run a 10K, early morning training, pushing to run further than I had ever run before, and then the eventful fall, which led to the subsequent healing miracle. Now, some may accept coincidence as an easy answer when no easy answer exists to questions of why or how. Why me? But I chose to believe that faith and works and mercy combined that day to help me get to the starting line. But would it be enough to get me to the finish line? Before my feelings of gratitude brought me to my knees in front of all those around me, I was instantly brought to my senses by the sound of a loud pop washing away my reflective thoughts and instinctively willing my limbs forward. The race had begun. Our initial pace was faster than we had trained for, but the adrenaline rush coursing through our bodies carried us in harmony with the flow of runners surrounding us. We had met our first goal to keep from being trampled by the other runners as their adrenaline kicked in. The first five miles were a little stressful, mostly adrenaline fed, but as we settled more into our practice pace, my heart rate began to settle down and I actually began to enjoy the moment. I had been drawn into jogging over the years 
due in part to the peaceful state one can achieve while maintaining a consistent pace over an extended period of time. Runners often refer to this condition as a runner's high. Studies have shown that the body exhibits a biochemical called endorphin, which has been found to produce certain effects and behaviors when released into the body under certain conditions. Although there is still great debate over this seemingly powerful drug-like substance, there is no denying that it has been at the root of some amazing Reader's Digest stories. One only needs to study the life of early humans to see why this God-given feature, endorphin, was included as part of the body's standard equipment package. As the only means of transportation, early humans often had to run down or cover great distances on foot to provide their next meal. This usually brought on the condition of shin splints and stress fractures to the lower part of the leg creating great pain to the hunter. He then had a choice of starvation or moving through the pain. Most chose to keep running, which activated the hidden endorphin chemical into the bloodstream and brain, resulting in a state of mind overriding the body's painful condition. Thus the term runner's high. Although most of us in today's instant everything society will never face the need to run down our breakfast over miles of treacherous terrain, however it may have resembled an early morning breakfast run in downtown New York, the biochemicals does still provide benefit even today. The most common reference is in recreational running, but studies over the years suggest endorphins play a role in healing certain body and mind conditions. In addition, Prolonged relaxation in a float tank is shown to trigger the production of endorphins, along with inserting acupuncture needles into certain body parts. Both treatments are known to be successful in treating pain. You are undoubtedly wondering why I've put this exciting account of my first and only marathon race on hold and insist on educating you on the benefits of endorphins to the body and mind because I see a close correlation between reaching the runner's high and experiencing the sweetness of trial. An accelerated pace of activity held to constancy once achieved over an extended length of time. For the runner, the activity is running, training, pace exercises, and nutrition. For the person in the midst of trial, the activity to reach a sweetness of peace and hope is an increased blend of humble supplication, prayer, constant reading, studying, and pondering the scriptures, clean living, keeping the commandments, more prayer, more study, intermixed with service to another. The physical state in which endorphins are released into the body creates a condition of almost euphoric happiness, providing temporary relief from pain and stress. I loved that feeling when it came. Reaching it meant I had successfully put aside my current physical and mental pain and obtained what some may describe 
as an altered state of consciousness. Whatever it was, the feeling was desirable, and I often used that state of mind, a sweetness of peace, if you will, to communicate with my Heavenly Father and to leave behind my worldly cares, even if just for an hour or so. I have also experienced a runner's high of sorts when embracing trial. Trial can place us in a most humble attitude if we so choose, an altered state of awareness, allowing us to taste the sweetness of the atonement and its far-reaching benefits to both spirit and mind. When I am able to put aside the pain of disappointment and anger, replace those feelings with complete faith and trust in my Savior, focus on my love for Him, and feel the effects of His love for me, as evidenced by His willingness to atone for my sins, I have then crossed over the threshold of pain and regret into the realm of inner peace. A sweetness begins to fill my soul, and with it a sureness of hope that this too shall pass. Now back to the marathon story. Here's a quote in Second Nephi 2.11. For it must be that there is opposition in all things. For me that day it was the wall. I had heard about it. The stories of heartache and dreams smashed as if there were a visible barrier set up across the road. Without, without warning, legs crumble. Muscles cramp, minds freeze, and momentum stops. Goals not achieved. I cannot remember when it started, but it might have been when I left the comfort of the runner's high and started listening to the wails of my own body. Maybe it was the fear hiding inside me that at any moment my ankle would give way to the constant pounding and I would go down. Every step became an irritation. Any sound became a distraction, as if pins were digging into my head. My stride slowed to a comfortable pace, but it was not comfortable. It was not my body that hit the wall first. It was my mind. I had not prepared for this. I had been so focused on readying my body, afraid my ankle would give way that I would cramp from dehydration, but it was my mind that went. I began to forget why I was doing this. The obstacle became larger than the prize at that moment, and I could not see the finish line. A trial that comes as a thief in the night. Unexpected, dark, ugly, smelly, with intent on doing harm, can expose the weaknesses of our faith even weakness in our core beliefs. I see myself as if it were yesterday, sitting down on the side of the curb. The morning sun was warm now. No homes were built along that stretch of the temporary marathon raceway, just cactus and dirt. My running companion encouraged me until the very end, and then he had to cut me loose. I sat dejected that I had let him down, and my wife and kids. What would they think if I didn't show up? I thought 
Well, they're waiting for me at the finish line. They had the faith to wait, but I had lost the faith to finish. I believe in angels, and I didn't call for one that day of defeat, but one showed up anyway, probably at the direction of a loving Heavenly Father who saw one of his stubborn sons needing a little help at the moment. I first saw her tennis shoes, not running shoes, but tennis shoes, black ones. Her legs were pencil thin, which gave prominence even more to her shoes, and she must have been 80 years old. Come on, Sonny, you can do it, were the infamous, to me, words she uttered to both encourage and challenge me as I raised my head from between my knees only to catch a glimpse of her backside as she was engulfed in the throng of runners who had caught up and passed her. But she had paused, taken time away from her own race to offer a word of encouragement to a fallen soul suffering from the damage of lost faith and reliance upon his own faith, his own strength to win. For a brief moment, I let myself drop back into my state of disrepair or despair, questioning my judgment for entering such a race with so little time to prepare. And then the accident. What made me think that that would just go away? And yet it did. What about my wife and my children waiting at the finish line? Was there a taxi service out here? Convinced no one was going to come and pick me up. I did the one thing I knew how to do. I prayed. I prayed for strength just to endure the remaining six miles of the race. I prayed for forgiveness that I had relied totally up to that point in the race on the arm of flesh and not the hand of God. I prayed to endure and finish the race. Anything more would be considered an overabundant blessing. I stood and dusted myself off and began to walk toward the finish line. A poem I had once memorized came to my mind as I continued to increase my walking pace feeling some sort of energy once again returning to my legs and mind. The poem was written by Rudyard Kipling and is entitled, If. Well, I'm sorry, we're going to have to break to go into part two now. <laughs> I'm so sorry to do that to you, but we're running out of time. So... Let's, um, let's just leave it at that. I'll make sure that we'll connect on the other side. And as usual, remember you can find this book, uh, The Sweetness of Trial, on Amazon.com. Search the title and add by Charles P. Malone, and you should find it. Or you can go to Facebook.com forward slash I just write it and scroll to the post that has the links to my books and future books and to this podcast. I hope to see you on the other side. Remember, this is a great poem. You're not going to want to miss it. Mm -hmm.
My friends, thank you so much for spending your time with me today in discussing the sweetness of trial. Please join me in future episodes as we learn how to not only endure trial, but to win from it as we continue our journey through my book, The Sweetness of Trial.